Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the RPG, lore, and stories for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korvar. And I am Kikita Kaori. And this week we are going to be running through some topics, demeanors, how to use them or what they're for, travel papers, and the Phoenix Clan. Yeah. We have very little new news going on. Uh, apparently, the LCG has got all kinds of news, but we are role-playing mm. gamers, and we don't care about that. Nope, they can't <laughs> ban our cards. We don't have cards to ban. It's fine. Occasionally, we do get a ratter. Yeah, yeah. I, they're, 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 I, I can't see them like banning like Bayushi Death Dealers or something, because that would that, <laughs> you can just imagine the ructions that would cause. Banned! Can't do them anymore. For those for those people who are interested, if there is a page of L5R RPG Arata that has been out since the day the first the game first came online. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's extremely um, hard to find, and not everyone knows about it. So, I recommend going and taking a look at that if you yeah. are playing the game and get confused about certain sort kinds of rules because it's about page of little little things, little tweaks. And some some changes, some just clarification. But um, in the holidays, uh, there were a number of interesting discussions on 5e. And one of those discussions came up, went around to demeanors. Mm. So what are demeanors and why shouldn't you just use your water ring for everything? Uh, because that means you're friendly everything. and charming. Yes. So demeanors are things you att- that are attached to non-player characters. So it's a tool for GMs, and it gives a mechanical kind of heft to personality. What they what they generally do is they come with a narrative thing and a mechanical thing. And so you might have someone whose demeanor is impulsive, and the narrative is that they tend to be well impulsive so that gives you an idea how to roleplay them mechanically it might mean that for any target number for any any kind of role you make against any social role you make against them whether it be a shuji or just a standard role then possibly fire gives a target number reduction so they might have minus one to anything you use with your fire ring but earth is plus one it just and so things are more difficult if you try and reason with them because they just get bored because they're impossible. And there are <laughs> loads and loads and loads of different demeanors. And it's an interesting and quick way of customizing a particular NPC template. It's more than that. So one of the strengths and one of the weaknesses of L5R is that there is, uh, in the fifth edition, is that there is no social ring, mm. right? There, There's no one attribute that you use for social skills all the rings are good for all of combat potentially yep and all the rings are good for all of social combat or social interaction as well however um on first glance it seems like you could just raise one ring really high and do everything with it because you could apply it to any kind of thing you can use it for any interaction you can use it for any social and you can use it in fighting so why not just get one ring really high and be able to use it for everything well for the social rings you can use your one ring for that interaction but demeanors are what makes it so that maybe that one ring you focused on is not the best one to use against this target because it raises your target number for everything to do it by by quite a lot. Most of the demeanors that we found were raising the target number by two and lowering the target number by two. So mm. that changes uh, its normal target number of two to four yeah. or one. Yeah. Or nothing. Because, well, it can't, yeah, target numbers, I think, with very, very small exceptions, target numbers can't go below one, but. Right. Uh, but that's a huge difference when you when you think about it. Um, that's your cap dice. So mm. yeah, and and people who have done the the maths on this are, are quite clear that that there's a the the difference between um, a plus or minus on your target number plus one or minus one is more than it has a bigger effect than a kept die. So mm-hmm. it's it's way better 
So if you've got if you've, you've got a like your water ring, which you're using for everything because your water is your best ring, uh, and your fire ring is one less, then it's actually better to go for fire ring if that gets you a a one less target number than it is to use your water ring, even though that's got an extra kept die. Right. And, if, and with a with a plus plus or minus two, that's really that's a really huge difference. However. One of the trick, one of the problems is that, is that this means you need a demeanor for all your NPCs, mm. and it is. I don't know about you or other game masters, but a lot of game mastering happens on the fly. You have yep. this wonderful plot that you spent for ages working on, and your characters, your PCs, go wandering in a different direction to someplace yep. you've never made before. So you have to make NPCs on the fly, and it's very easy to grab. A default pen template, like your default courtier template, or your default peasant template, and just use that, or just make up a nameless one, and then not worry about demeanors or personality or anything like that, because they're yeah. not doing anything very important with these NPCs. They aren't the ones you've slavishly lavished affection and disadvantages and advantages and all that good stuff over. You are trying to grab some of quick to have your PCs talk to as they ask for directions to find the plot again. Yes. <laughs> so uh, in response to that uh, and this discussion of demeanors, uh, Shinjo Turk, Cosmo Rodriguez, uh, went into the books and collated all the demeanors from all the books because the one list they give only has like five. However, if you go through the books and pull out all the demeanors for everything, yeah, all the NPCs, of, yeah, all the NPCs and stuff. There's about forty-five different demeanors that they have in there, which is yeah. a lot to choose from. And then, so uh, I put those lists together and then put a random number generator on them, or uh, you know. A random range on them and said okay if you are in a friendly environment you're more likely to meet friendly happy people who want to talk to you or would like to be interacted with in a friendly way so mm. these are the demeanors you're most likely to run into there though you could always run into somebody weird uh on a low percentage chance and then i have the same thing for a hostile environment so where everyone's angry at you and don't want to talk to you they're more likely to be hostile and seeing a friendly face might be pretty rare yeah 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 so yeah yeah just i think that's just a, and it's all put into into a very kind of easy to use table which i think is really probably like that um so you can go ahead and use it if you're a gm and you know feel free we'll have links for it another thing we wanted to talk to about because we started, we had it on the schedule to talk about it in our mm -hmm. last podcast forever ago, but we thought it was kind of a cool thing to talk about was travel papers. Yep, travel papers are those things that allow you to move from one place to another, and in theory, you're not supposed to go all that far without having travel papers of some form or another. Certainly, if you're moving from one clan's territory to another. But the question is, where do you need them? Where do you get them from? What things you, do you need to have on them? What things can you do with them? When don't you need them? Mm -hmm. And so we have been scouring the lore to see what we can find. Yep. They should show up in your stories because usually your people want to walk around. Uh, they're mentioned in Pine and Cherry Blossoms. So any concerns about whether they are in New 5R? Yes, they are absolute edition. Several places. Um and in that particular appearance, we see them being asked for just by every single random group of samurai that you might wander around, wander into when you're not in your own lands. So yeah. if you are not in your lands, you can expect anybody who's feeling dutiful or annoying or otherwise don't wondering why you're there to ask to see your travel papers, especially yeah. magistrates. Yeah, magistrates are they're they're like that. It's kind of, can we see your papers? It's all terribly uh, important. They look like a sheaf of paper. They've probably got some nice seals stamped on them. Um, Wallet-sized or envelope-sized packet. Um, yeah, I think I found. Um, I think in one one of the one of our previous uh, episodes, we 
touched on this, and I think I found some images of historical travel documents in the show. You did. We'll put the link in there. I know where the lo- it is. Um, and, you know, ostensibly, one of the main reasons that they were developed, I guess, uh, other than you don't want heavily armed people wandering around in your civilian population, is that um, horses do damage to roads quite badly. Mm and other and so do carts and so on so when your clan is investing time and resources in their roads they don't want people damaging them um and so you need special travel papers to have horses on those roads as well um to keep them in line uh especially imperial roads so that's one thing so how do you acquire them well, generally, you ask your local friendly magistrate, assuming your magistrate is friendly. Um, Emerald magistrates have the right to give inter-clan travel papers. So if you want to move from the Crab Clan to the Crane Clan, then it's your Emerald magistrates you want to If your clan, if the clan you are in requires you to have inter-province ones, which some may, then uh, a local magistrate do, I would hope. And if things are at war... Or, mm. you know, generally there's a travel ban yeah, good between luck with that <laughs> clans. It could be very difficult. You actually may need to have travel papers actually negotiated for you between the courtiers of your clan and the courtiers of another clan. So yep. they don't instantly, you know, I'm going to scrawl my name on this and it's you have travel papers and you can go anywhere you want now. You have to have the clans negotiate out the agreement to allow you to travel. So that makes it something that you actually might need to call in favors for or use your influence to uh, try and procure. That's, you know, reasons for the court game. That's a reason for a court game. Yep, sounds like an intrigue, potentially. Yes, so you get invited to Winter Court this year. Your goal for Winter Court is to make sure you can get all the travel papers you need to follow all the rest of your investigations for the rest of the year. Uh, Historically, well, it depends on which period of history. And Elfavar is sometimes confused as to which period of Japan's history it's stealing from at that particular moment. Um, But sometimes the peasantry weren't meant to move at all. You, you were born in a village, and that's your village, and that you stay there forever. Uh, but pilgrimages were a traditional thing. And so sometimes a village would have a set of representatives and say, you're going to go on pilgrimage on our behalf, and you would get special travel papers to go through all the various special sites. And that pilgrim would be buying souvenirs, effectively, along the way to take back to their village so everyone can kind of go it's like we all went on the pilgrimage <laughs> now different different periods do have different in terms of the hymen needing travel yep. papers um as, as you say in japan different periods needed different amounts of control mm. of the hymen uh if you're actually talking about how hymen move and whether they need travel papers or not uh it's really hard to keep people who are refugees or trying to escape a bad situation to stay in that bad situation. They will uh, and not really care about travel papers if their lives are in danger because that's what they will do. Um, However, it looks like in general, based on what we see in Pine and Cherry Blossom in L5R, Hyman are expected to have travel papers potentially, but they aren't necessarily checked super well. Well, they certainly are more likely to be checking the travel papers of your heavily armed, armor-wearing samurai than they're going to check about the travel papers of this random hymen. They don't yep. really care that much. I rather suspect it's different um, within a clan as opposed to between clans. Uh, my, I mean, so a lot of a lot of this, as we're saying, you know, it depends on which period of history you're stealing from, and so on and so on. So a lot of this mm-hmm. depends on your rock again, what rock again, uh, what your rock again is going to be like. But I rather suspect that because each individual clan has a slightly different style about how they do things, what they what their clothing's are, what their clothing's like, different accents. Uh, I suspect, like, if you're a magistrate and you hear a bunch of peasants and they sound a bit from a different clan, then you're going to investigate their papers a little more strongly than if they sound like they're from your clan. 
for an mm-hmm. example. So, so yeah, the, the farmers wandering about within their clan lands and certainly within their quote unquote family lands. So Kakita peasants, yeah, peasants from Kakita lands wandering out from one Kakita province to another is probably going to be a lot easier than moving from a Kakita province to a Doji province and even easier going from than going from a Kikita province to a Yasuki province, for example. Yes. The other thing is that it is very likely that your samurai do not know how easy it is for Hyman to travel around freely because they are always going to be checked wherever yeah. they go because they are samurai and they've got mons and they've got weapons and yes. so on. So while the Hyman might be moving freely, it might surprise the samurai that the hymen are <laughs> moving as freely as they are. As freely as they might, yeah. But of course, they may also say, "Well, why? Why would we care? Why would we care about? Why would we care about the the hymen? It's like this. There's nothing to do with us. They're they're way down. They're way down the list. Why do we care? <laughs> but samurai, they like that. They like that. They like that sometimes. And it may vary from clan to clan because the the lion clan may have a very different view of things to the crane clan versus the crab clan, the dragon clan. I suspect the dragon clan don't particularly care that much. Whereas the Crab Clan may find it terribly, terribly important to keep track of where everybody is and see who's moving about. Because somebody suddenly moving about when they haven't been before, that could be a hint that something has moved past the Shadowlands and has taken on a form that they shouldn't have. And that's something mm-hmm. to look into. Whereas the Lion Clan may be, no, you stay where you are because that's where you're meant to be because that's how it works. And when the, yeah, the Unicorn may be, no, of course you're moving about. Of course you are. We're all nomadic. So. Exactly. I think that overall, the dragon, phoenix, crane, and unicorn are probably pretty free and easy about it just mm. because of the nature of those clans and uh, they don't care as much about you know strict discipline mm. um, in, in, that, in that fashion. Um, and the crab, I think... Overall, they don't mind too much, but because of what you said, somebody might be an Oni in disguise. Uh, yeah. They, they would be more careful uh, about it. And I think that the Scorpion would be pretty uh, tough with travel papers. One, because we've seen it <laughs> in, in yeah. uh, Pine and Cherry Blossom, but also because there's a certain uh, healthy paranoia among the Scorpion that Everybody is mm. being deceitful and tricky because they're a scorpion. That's what they're supposed to look for. Yep. And so uh, keeping your peasants properly in line and then allowing them to move when you choose to allow them to move um, mm. is seems like a scorpion way. To, and the lion I, like their discipline. Everyone's yeah. supposed to be where they're always been. Yeah. And, and the crane the crane would be like, but why would you want to move? Everything is perfect where you are because we have made it perfect. Well, yes, but yeah, then you wouldn't necessarily need travel papers. Would you? That's true. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. If you if you needed to move, you'd have you'd have papers because you'd, you'd, there would be a reason and then you'd know. And then, uh, obviously, the the mild case of tsunami three years ago has changed that. <laughs> Anyway, so story hooks. Uh, the mm. best thing about travel papers is that they are a cause for story hooks. They really aren't made to slow things down, but obstacles are there for your PCs to overcome. Indeed. So, um, so let's think of some story hooks. Yeah, I mean the, the the obvious one is the how do you get them in the first place when you when you need to go someplace? How are you going to get them? Where do you get them from? That's going to that's going to bring out a whole bunch of different potential plot lines, and uh, intrigues and things to do. Your characters are going to try and get done mm-hmm. because suddenly they need to get to travel. Pay. But there are others. So, for example, mm. you are staying at an inn, and your travel papers accidentally get swapped with another group staying at the inn, and you have to find them and swap them back. But who is that other group staying? Yes. In? You've got their names. You've got their base information and what you remember of them in the end but they could be anybody and you have to now go find them yep and the and a similar one is what happens if you find someone else's travel papers uh, lying on the road somewhere and can you get those travel papers to them can you and 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 it's because that could be a, anything could be at the end of that one you mm-hmm. know who these people are why they had travel papers what they were planning to do uh, if you accidentally wander up 
to someone and say, hey, I found these travel papers. They may think that you are that person or you're trying to be that person. Or if you turn up, you say, oh, well, I know where these people are going because the travel papers are very clear. So that's where I'll go. And as soon as you turn up, oh, you must be the people come to, to solve our problem. <laughs> and, you know, that, and that could be anything. And, the, and that could be anything. Or they could be mm. dead. And now you have a, a murder to yeah. solve. Oh yeah, yeah. Why exactly? And 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 just to, why do you have their their travel papers? Well, I just found them. Aha! Likely story. <laughs> so that so travel papers are a great way of pulling pulling potential groups together. For example, all of you want to go to the same place at the same time, so they just issue a mass travel papers that they've all negotiated together, and it's like, okay, you're all going to this village. Yeah. For all your different reasons. We negotiated your travel papers all at once. Here's your packet. You just get one. Just travel together. <laughs> just travel a lot of you together. Um, there's some interesting plot lines because obviously you can be asked for your travel papers at any time, especially if you are clearly a foreigner. If you are mm -hmm. if you're a Kikita in Kikita lands, I suspect no one's ever going to look at your travel paper because mm -hmm. they don't care. But if you're a Kikita in Phoenix lands, that may happen quite a lot. If you're Kikita in Scorpion lands, I suspect it'll happen really a lot but <laughs> the most they will come up are at border stations which is kind of interesting because japan's actual historical japan is very mountainous and so they're very often very specific places you can cross over from one territory to another rock ends a bit more open but you can assume there's still much the same there are still border stations, and there are plots that can happen in there like what happens when you get to the border station and your travel papers can't be found what happens if you get to the border station and you discover that the officials in there aren't what they should be. Maybe they're corrupt. Maybe they're just acting really suspiciously. Maybe they look a bit tainted. <laughs> it accidentally happens. <laughs> yeah, or they declare your papers a forgery. Oops. Yes, yes, and and you are absolutely certain that they're not, and you about that. Lots of different plots going on there, and not even stuff that happens to you. There can be stuff happening to the person ahead of you in the line, that could be terribly important. Absolutely. So hopefully that gives you some ideas for things to either throw in the middle of an adventure or get a group together, or, you know, it could be the start of an adventure. So it could be quite small or it could be a big, big event. So hopefully that gives you some ideas. All right. So let's move on to our next topic. And that's just going to be a lore dive into the Phoenix Clan. <laughs> Yes. So I always have a hard time with the Phoenix Clan. I, I have to admit, I like I, them. Yeah, I, I think the problem is for because I, you know, I like you know historical Japan, and I have kind of assigned different, slightly different time periods to each clan, so I can make them visually distinct. So the mm -hmm. the Crane Clan are very high Edo periods, the very artsy, refined Edo period. The lion are right at the end of Sengoku Jidai when there's got the really professional armies and you know all about honor and Bushido and blah mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I know who the dragon clan are and I know who the unicorn clan are, but I have nothing for the Phoenix clan. In many ways, what makes them what they are isn't a cultural thing. Like the lion are military and Bushido and honor. And the mm -hmm. crane are art and politics and pot and friendship. The Phoenix clan are magic. And that's really hard to pin stuff on, I find. <laughs> At least in historical Japan. Yeah. Um, so the themes, if you wanted to go from, you know, their literary motifs or the themes that mm. the Phoenix clan hit on the most are the themes of power and humanity. Power yes. being a big one. So there's a lot of jokes about Phoenix and um, certain, uh, I don't know, monoclonal supervillain. Not supervillain, but they're very, very powerful. I kind of, It's kind of funny because cause the Isawa are often referred to as being very powerful, but very humble. And everyone kind of goes, really? Humble? The Isawa? Because when you say power and humility, I think a lot of people go, oh, yeah, power and humility. The Isawa and the Shiba. You know, like these are separate things. But in theory, yeah, even though they're very powerful, the Isawa 
know that the power doesn't come from them, but it comes from the cunt. So exactly. So those two themes and what they mean. So what does it mean when you you know have huge amount of power, and how do you use it wisely? How do you use it to serve the empire? Um, and yeah. how do you respond to that? These are the themes of the Phoenix, yeah. and each generation of phoenix and each individual uh phoenix character uh kind of come to that question in different ways and have different answers to that question so those are the those are just the themes but you can't say there is just one answer there isn't that that's true what is Arthur, what's also interesting about the phoenix clan is that with pretty much all the other clans you say okay here is the founding kami and the founding kami defines the clan yeah so so the crab clan is defined by hida the mm-hmm. crane clan is defined by doji but that's not quite the same with the phoenix clan because the phoenix clan is really defined just as much by isawa who was mm-hmm. a mortal um well some I, I think some tellings of the tale it's, it's isawa isn't necessarily an individual the isawa could be a tribe a people Isawa is an individual, but he mm. was the leader of his tribe. So yeah. I guess we should start talking about who Sheba was, because Sheba yeah. was the founding kami. Mm-hmm. So Sheba was is the twin of Bayushi. Yep. Uh, he is one of the middle children, uh, children of the kami. He was known for being very thoughtful and uh, wise. When Shinsei arrived... And was talking to Hante. It was Sheba who took notes. Yep. And uh, wrote everything down. So he has a very protective role regarding the Tao. And he's Sheba's the one who actually wrote it, like physically mm. wrote it, uh, based on these conversations between Shinsei and Hante. Uh, let's see. Before he went out and searched for followers, he did gather them. Uh, he was going to. His sister wanted to fix him up, get him, yeah, get him a wife, because yep. that's what all good big sisters do, right? Um, and he was kind of uh, adverse to this. He wanted Doji thought he should get a wife who was beautiful and he loved very much, and she got into a big argument with Hida. Hida, you know, thought he should get a sturdy wife who was yeah. good for baby making. <laughs> and um, well, he is very practical in well, these. No, purposes. no, I, I, yeah, I, I can see his point of view. <laughs> and so Hida and Doji got into a fight, as they sometimes do. And Shiba got so fed up that that um, he said, "I am not going to marry anybody until she's I find someone who's like the perfect combination of both of those." Yeah. <laughs> She's she going to be beautiful and feminine and delicate, but also sturdy and strong. And strong and courageous and so Yeah. On. And so he left and didn't marry and they, you know, left Doji and Hida to their fight. And one day a woman knocked at the door of the castle saying, please save me and save my people. And he, he fell in love with her. She was beautiful, gorgeous, brave, and she was a fish. Yeah. Um, well, she was now, a ninjo. <laughs> yes. It was sort of a mermaid, sort of one of the five ancient races. But yeah, fish lady. <laughs> so he dives down to the bottom of the sea with her and fights off a big monster and saves her people. Mm. And she marries him. Yeah. And comes back to live as a Sheba on land, unable to go back to her ocean palace. Um, her name is Sheba Sa- Samaru. And she goes on to become the brightest star in the northern sky. Um, and she makes for him his sword called Ofushike, which is mm. a very important. Yeah, it's very important. Um, now, the, the interesting, like I say, the interesting thing about um, the Phoenix clan is that it wasn't really founded as such by Sheba. What happens is the, the Day of Thunder starts to approach. So, so Fuleng is invading and there's monsters and there's undead and it's all very terrible. And Shinsei has said, fortune favors the mortal man. You need to have mortal followers to to go fight Fuleng. Yeah, the kami themselves can't do it. 
And so everyone's kind of like, okay, the, the Crane Clan, all right, this is who we need from the Crane Clan. This is who we need from the Lion Clan. Only Matsu goes, poof, no, you need me. Um, actually, the same thing with the Crane Clan. It's like, we need this person. Oh, no, he's dead. Oh, his twin sister said, nope, we have the same soul. I'm doing it. I think everyone else was pretty straightforward. We need this person and this person. However, and everyone knew who... Yeah. Who That's right. Yeah, they needed we knew. the most because the most powerful human being alive was a man yeah. named Asawa. Yeah, and he was he was kind of running his own independent tribe, and he kind of don't think he wanted any much to do with these new interloping kami blokes and blokesses. It's like, oh no, I've got my own tribe. We're we're fine. And so Shiba realized that he couldn't just go. I am the great kami Shiba. You must. Um, Isao was saying, "My no, I have to protect my tribe. That's what I need to do." And so Shiba, being a, you know a son, a, a child of the sun and the moon, you know, Akami, capital K Kami, knelt to Isawa and promised to look after the Isawa clan forevermore. And that was a big thing. That was a big thing for a, a deity of, the, of that magnitude to do to a mortal human. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the interesting things about the the clan is that it's not technically speaking run by the family of the founding kami, it's run by the Isawa, or more yes. actually by the elemental council. But that's mostly Isawa, and that's an interesting dynamic. Yes, so. it's very very different than the other clans. So Isawa did go forth, mm-hmm. and he he had been he was a very powerful shigenja. Uh, in fact, he invented most everything uh one of the things that he did to protect his city his his clan was that they used what at the time was blood magic uh and that became corrupted by fulang but in the days when asawa's he um a pure form of blood magic so he um he eventually went thanks to shiba green to look after his tribe and went with the other thunders to go fight Fu Lang. And while the other thunders were fighting, Isawa took his scrolls, which he had in his scroll case to fight with, and he took Fu Lang's essence and bound them to his scrolls in order mm. to keep him tied up because otherwise he couldn't be. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of killed. those he couldn't be destroyed, but he could be right. contained. Right. So long as no one read the Black Scrolls, which I'm sure no one has done because that would be stupid. (laughs) So so when uh, Shoshuro came back, who was the only one who survived, she carried with her the 12 Black Scrolls that were Asawa's scrolls and now contained the corrupted essence of Fulang. And um, they were given over to one who was, and they were given to Bayushi to protect, essentially. And then pass to the Yoga family, if I remember right. Yes, pass to the Yoga family. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the yeah. uh, lore deep dive that we do. But the Phoenix ended up getting their hands on a handful of them. And so they protect those ones and the Scorpion protect the rest. At least we hope. <laughs> so um, while so the Thunders had gone out on the Day of Thunder or, you know, at the time of Thunder and they, they went to fight Fu Lang and they didn't come back and the clans were and eventually um everyone i mean these were these were the kami's children uh and lovers and you know the hope of the world and no word had passed that Mm. nothing had happened and so out of desperation (laughs) desire love um the kami shiba volunteered to go look for them to see uh, and, and follow after them. And mm. um, he went out and he ran into Shinsei and Shisoro, who were the last two of the people alive who left. And they were being hunted by the first owner, uh, who was a very huge, terrible creation of Fulang's. Yep. And they were near death. And Shiba intercepted the first owner and fought him and killed him, but the first Oni killed Shiba. As Shiba was was lying there dying, Shinsei whispered a secret to him. And we don't know what that secret was. Because it's a secret. Because it's a secret. But when uh, 
he returned, Sheba's son at that time now had spirit of Sheba in him. And Ofashuke, Shike, that was Sheba's. And ever since then, the Phoenix Clan champion has the person, the spirit, the soul of Sheba contained with Ofushike has chosen to be the next clan champion. And on occasion, it's been very surprising. There have been like the, the, the current champion was not the one who was expected by anybody, right. which was uh, quite interesting. The current champion being Shiba Sukune, who was mm. just uh, a bodyguard for one of the, uh, someone who was a, a senior apprentice, but still an apprentice Earth Shigenja at the time. Yep. So um, basically that's, so each Phoenix champion is guided by all the spirits of all the Phoenix champions who have gone before them. And when a Phoenix champion dies, their own spirit joins this history of other uh, Phoenix champions and goes on to advise the next Phoenix champion. So they get yeah. a nice dose of both schizophrenia and uh, elemental guidance or uh, ancestral guidance at the same time yep. for, for all of the Phoenix clan. You do wonder what that does to reincarnation, but that might be a rather more metaphysical kind of question <laughs> than, but hey. And yeah, and as I mentioned before, the clan itself is mostly run by the Council of Elemental Masters, who are the greatest exponents of each of the individual forms of magic. So each of the five elements, there's air, earth, fire, water, and void, Mm -hmm. And the best of the best of the best rule the Phoenix clan together. Right. And it looks like they have different ways of determining this. So mm. uh, normally if a uh, elemental master of an element uh, retires or dies, the clan looks around and finds the best, most powerful Shiginja who is it, you know, focuses on that element who has that strength with that element and chooses them. Yeah. Uh, the other elemental masters of the council or the uh, Shigenja involved with that element. However, uh, recently we, we see that a powerful Shigenja of the clan can choose to challenge their the master for their position. So recently the elemental master of earth was uh, challenged by his student, uh, Isawa Tadaka, and yep. they had a big Shigenja duel and Tadaka won. So now Tadaka is elemental master. Um, um, there's a, some ructions going on in the council at the minute. Cause I don't know. Cause the elemental master of void has vanished. Yes. The elemental master of Earth has gone to the Shadowlands, or gone certainly gone south, and mm -hmm. hasn't been heard of in a while. And I don't know if because the elemental master of Water resigned after, well, as far as she is concerned, causing the tsunami that hit the crane. There is a new one now. Oh, there is a new one. Okay. There is a new so one. That's, that's okay. only only two of them are missing in action. <laughs> okay. So that's that's who rules it. And they kind of yep. are an argumentative body and they hash things out. And because they're argumentative, they tend not to... They are, there's a lot of um, back and forth and different mm. tones that the council takes depending on who's in charge. Generally, yep. the Phoenix are very peaceful loving and they do not want to get involved with fights and they do not want other people to have fights but that changes if you know somebody particularly temperamental gets in charge yeah. um there is two other phoenix families other than the asawa and the shiba uh the asako was shiba's first follower she loved him um she missed him when he died uh he came to her and told her the words that she that Shinsei had told him, whatever mm. those words were, thus imbuing to her the secret power that allows humans to become immortal, sort of, if they understand it. Yeah. I she don't know how not... much of that's... I'm sorry. No, keep going, keep going. No, she, she did not necessarily fully understand it, but she passes on these secrets in her family, the Asako, 
as they attempt to become what is called a henshin, which is kind of Taoist immortal. <laughs> Something along those lines. I don't know how much of this is has been stated in fifth edition because no. it was a big thing in fourth because uh, it was it was a, an advanced path thing you could do and semi in fact become a sort of. But I don't know how much of that is in. No, so the phoenix is not heavily fleshed out especially mm. the Asako yet. But yeah. we wanted to mention it, so you had an idea yeah. of what it was. Um, yeah. The newest family of the Phoenix is the Kato. Um, the Kato were not in previous 4th edition L5R. Nope. They are new. Uh, you have to read the Sword and the Spirits to read the founding of the Kato. Um, but they were basically a vassal family of the Asawa, who then... Uh, focused on being good shrine keepers and they used to be Yabanjin and mm. then uh, they were formed as a vassal family because one of them captured an evil spirit and contained it in a well. Uh, they are known for being good archers and uh, they only recently got made uh, a full-fledged um, family um, yeah, by Shiba Sakuni. Yep. Basically because I think she wanted backup personally. <laughs> I think she knew that the new edition was happening and they only had three families and they needed a fourth and one. And that's not so. fair. <laughs> no, it's not fair. Some of them have five families. We only have three. <laughs> All the, right. the Phoenix know things that other people can't, so it makes perfect sense. No, it's silly. Um. <laughs> anyway, so so yeah. that's the Cato family and uh, mm. I'm sure we will learn more about them. Um Let's see. Yep. So the, the, we have the current struggles of the Phoenix. The, the kind of the thing that the Phoenix Clan are most involved in right now, their current issue, is that they are sensing a massive Im elemental balance, a, a, an elemental imbalance that's increasing and getting worse. That they are trying to get to the bottom of, mm -hmm. an attempt to do something about this by the Elemental Master of Water is what led to the Crane Tsunami. They are thinking it might be down to Meishoto with the unicorn. They think it might be down to the perfect clan sex. Uh, but they are looking for it. And that's the thing that they're most worried about. Of course, they are not asking for help with this. But they are themselves. Yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are the very powerful Shigenja. If the problem is not going to be solved by the Phoenix, it's not going to be solved by anybody. This is so one of the things where people kind of go, humble, really? <laughs> But that's that's kind of the nature of it. So yeah, yeah. Um, they are working on it on, on their own. Mm -hmm. And um, truly, if anybody could solve it, it would be the Phoenix. But so far, their attempts have caused a lot of um, death and devastation for Rokugan. So, Indeed. Anyway, that leaves us, you know, the Phoenix and the relationship with their various clans. Um the Phoenix yep. and the Unicorn have a very difficult time. Overall, it had been relatively peaceful, though the Phoenix know the Kami want a certain thing. They should be followed a certain way, and the Unicorn don't like to follow those rules. But until the Elemental Imbalance, they kind of let said live and let live. They didn't like it. But now with the Elemental Imbalance... They believe, and a vision that the Avoid Shigenja had, uh, they strongly believe that Mishodo, the unicorn style of magic, is potentially the elemental imbalance. And uh, if and not specifically that, it's a risk. There's, there's a danger. A, and they that. have things that give them good reason to believe this, including uh, a jinn showing up mm. in a phoenix shrine and causing all manner of chaos there. So it is certainly a possibility. But this yeah. does not make the phoenix happy with the unicorn at all. Not at all. And when when they find out the when they find out that uh, Meishido trinkets have been found after the death of the emperor and the imperial prince is going missing, I suspect that's going to make things right. And then we've got um the we talked about how the Phoenix and the Scorpion tend to vie over the Black Scrolls. Um, so basically, that's it. Yogo, who is the uh, one of the family of the Phoenix of the Scorpion, was once a Phoenix. Talk about him more then. But overall, yep. they tend to 
only conflict over matters of magic. So yeah, they're, they're far so away bad. from each other, and there's the lion clan in the way. Uh, speaking of the lion, um, their relationship, obviously, anyone who, who borders the lion has the occasional conflict over land and space. At the moment, the lion are busy with the crane and the unicorn, so the phoenix aren't feeling the pressure right now. There is a recent marriage between uh, Kaede, who is the daughter of the previous elemental master of Void, who has since gone missing, and Akata Taturi, who is the current clan champion. But he wasn't at the time that the marriage was. Right. So that's a link between those two, which is not currently a problem, but you never know what might happen. Right. It's not always peaceful, though, between the Phoenix and Lion, even though they are both mm. quite traditionalist families. Uh, in old lore, the Phoenix are responsible for killing Matsusuko's family, so that's part of why she's so grumpy. Um, yeah. But uh, let's see. Phoenix and the Dragon. Uh, mm. They did found the Dragonfly together, but they don't always get along perfectly well. <laughs> no, no. The Dragon Clan, with their individuality thing, they are very accepting of the perfect land sect, which the Phoenix had declared to be heretical. So there is friction there because they think that the Dragon Clan are protecting a whole bunch of people with dangerous religious views. Mm -hmm. So, But uh, let's see. So the Phoenix and the Crane, well, we talked about how the uh, elemental master of water was trying to fix the elemental imbalance herself and caused a tsunami which mm. caused a lot of problems for the crane just yep. a few years before and is much of the reason why the crane is in sort of the, well, it's a part of the reason why the crane are in such dire straits now. Yeah. Master said, the crane don't know anything about this. It'll be interesting right. to see what happens if they ever find out. <laughs> but uh, other than the tsunami, the crane and Phoenix have gotten on very well overall. Um the As Asahina family came from the Phoenix, however. Uh, mm. So it's kind of interesting in that in the lore or new 5R for 5th edition, we kind of have um, some interesting contradictions, and some of them are uh, a confessed uh, mistake on the part of FFG. So um, Asahina was a... Asawa Asahina was a phoenix master of fire, uh, master of air, and he attacked the crane, and in the original lore, he was blocked by uh, a crane, a doji, then, you know, st stopped him with her body and stopped the fighting. Um, in the original lore, there was a fight called the Battle of the Broken Blade, where a uh, crane and lion army are coming at each other and the phoenix step in the middle of it in new 5r lore that has been changed so the phoenix and lion army are um fighting each other and the right. crane step into the middle of it oh and okay. so that kind of that's in uh the emerald empire book and so they changed the story there from Phoenix to Crane doing the intervening between the two armies and then had Asahina come out of that. But it ended up causing a lot of confusion, some mistakes that now we all have to kind of live with, basically, as far as uh, what that meant. But mm. it's okay. That happens. They yep, might clear yep. it up some point. Um, yep. And finally, the, the Phoenix and the Crab uh, the issue there is that the crab would quite like there to be the jade champion, who would be the head of imperial magic and making sure that everyone's doing the right thing and all that kind of stuff. But the Phoenix clan say, no, no, that's our job. Having a, uh, having a jade champion implies we're not doing our job. And so for the past several hundred years, there hasn't been a jade champion, despite the fact that it's one of the things that's meant to be there. Uh, so that's a bit of a source of contention between the crab, who don't normally interact because they are very far apart from them. And meanwhile, Kuniyuri and the elemental master of Earth, Tadaka, are having fun adventures. By Scary fun adventures, adventures, I mean terrifying adventures <laughs> that only show up in Halloween fiction. That's how bad they are. So <laughs> that could be... Yes. Well, Tadaka wants to... Tadaka thinks that the phoenix should do 
obviously they are the Phoenix and they have mm. all this power and they should be using it to fight the evil of the Shadowlands and yep. solve the problem of Fulang. He, he's aware that that's a problem, that it's getting worse, that something must be done and the people to do it, of course, are the Phoenix. Yes, he's very humbly deciding that only the Phoenix can do this. So he has, but he knows that the Kuni are the ones who are the experts. Yep. So he has done everything to, uh, you know, make himself go study with the Kuni to try to learn the Kuni ways so that the Phoenix can address. And nothing will go wrong. Of course, they're Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so we have gone on for a ridiculously long time today talking about travel papers and demeanors and Phoenix. So I think we better just give a call out to our yep. fellow podcast, uh, Court Games, the LCG side, who has, I'm sure, lots and lots and lots of good things to talk about on all these Stuff's changes. Stuff's been happening. Oh, yeah. Um, however, uh, so go there to hear that. And thanks to the uh, Six Ring podcast, who was the one who uh, interviewed Tyler to and found out more about what was going on with uh, the story of Asahina the Crane in that original fiction. Okay, good. good. Well, well done to them. <laughs> anyway, that's it from me. Uh, may the fortunes favor you. And that's it from me. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. All right. All right.